Now, I know that many in the house this morning, and those of you, many watching online, will probably agree that this call should happen and would be very much in favor of this call for repentance. And yet, I fear that many of those same people would be quick to say, yes, sinners need to repent. Therewith concluding that a call to repentance is strictly for the unsaved. But let me be clear this morning, just as God had to repeatedly call the children of Israel to repentance, so the church of today Yes, the blood-bought redeemed of the Lord is also subject to the same call and for many of the same reasons as were the children of Israel. For as the great hymn says, we too are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. And so to that end, I want to open this month of September with a declaration from this pulpit on the subject of repentance. It is very important that we understand what repentance is and what it is not. Let me tell you what it is not. Repentance is not simply an emotion. Now, it's true that like many of you, I was born and raised as a classical Pentecostal where emotion always ranked very high on our list. We valued that greatly. If you were raised as I was, then like me, You've seen many a preacher who worked people up into an emotional state and then called them to faith in Christ. And sadly, very often, that simply leads to an enormous letdown because that emotion will eventually subside. You don't live on emotion, whereupon they are then left with nothing. But please know and remember that repentance as defined in the word of the Lord is not an emotion It is a decision. That's what repentance is. It does not spring from the emotions. It springs from the will. If people can be reached at the place of their will and cause their turning to come from the place of their will, that is when you see permanent conversions. Unfortunately, many of the so-called conversions in the church today are impermanent because the will of the person has never really changed. Oh, they they had an emotional experience. They might have responded at the end of a service and even walked an aisle and come forward and wept bitter tears, and they, they maybe even got excited. Maybe they even felt wonderful for a few weeks or months or possibly even years, but in the end, they do not have what it takes to go through because their will has never been touched. Their will has never been changed. Now, having said that, I want to also say it is also true that once the will has made the decision to follow Christ and make Him the Lord of their life, there is most often an expression of emotions which may follow, and that's perfectly appropriate. For truly the Scripture says, he whom the Son sets free is And it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I have come to give you life and life abundantly. And if you experience true freedom, when you experience true liberty in Christ, when you experience true life abundantly, when up to this point you have been bound in chains, but then you have surrendered to Christ and you experience the exhilaration of deliverance from your sin, there will very likely be a response of emotions as you take in the joy unspeakable and full of glory. I have always said, 
I'm never really surprised at what possibly might happen in church. Um, I never wanted to miss as a kid because you never know what you were going to miss. Something was going to happen that was going to be interesting. And I'm never surprised at the reaction someone may have at the touch of the Holy Spirit upon their life. Might they act a little different? Possibly. They might. But I always remind myself of this when I see something like that. I don't know what God has delivered them from. I don't know the chains that have had them bound. I don't know the darkness of their soul that they have been dealing with. I don't know what oppression has been, been upon them. I don't know what has led them in their past, in their journey, in their past, to where they are today. And then to suddenly come to that point of experiencing a divine touch of God and the exhilaration that deliverance can bring, it could cause any possible type of reaction. So my response is this, let them rejoice. Let the people rejoice. But we must begin by understanding that true repentance is a decision. It is not simply an emotion. Most of you have been around long enough to know that there are two main languages in Scripture. Greek is in the New Testament and Hebrew in the Old Testament. Both of those languages, uh, they each have a specific word used for repentance. However, it's only when we put the two languages together that we get the full meaning of repentance. The Greek word in secular language would always be translated to change your mind. Repentance is to change your mind or to change the way you think. The actual Greek word is, is metamelomai, to change your mind. So firstly, repentance is changing your mind about the way you've been living, the way you've been conducting yourself, the way you've been uh, reacting to others. I've been living to please myself. I've been living to do my own thing, but from this moment forward, I am going to change my mind. I'm going to live to please the Lord Jesus, who now is my Savior and my Lord. It is a decision, not merely an emotion because the emotion will subside. It is actually entirely possible to repent without any outward or apparent emotion. And that is very difficult for a Pentecostal to understand. <laughs> but it is possible to repent when you understand the definition of repentance, to change your mind. There might be emotion, but that's not what it's based upon. But hear me, you cannot repent without a change of your will. That's what true repentance is. The Hebrew word then, sub, S-U-B, sub, which is very typical, it's very typical of the Jewish people because they are a very down-to-earth people. The Hebrew word for repent literally means then to turn around, to turn around around. You've been facing one direction. You've been actually going the wrong way with your back to God, but you turn 180 degrees with your face now toward God and your lips saying something like this, God, here I am. I am yours to command where you lead me. Tell me what to do and I will do it. Tell me where to go and I will go. Tell me what to say and I will say it. So then when you put the two together, you have a complete picture of repentance. The Greek, metamelomai, to change your mind. The Hebrew, sub, to turn around. Change your mind 
and turn around. And faith comes only after repentance. The whole message of the Bible is simply this, repent and believe, repent and believe. And folks, there are plenty of people, even in the church, who are struggling for their faith. But I would propose to you today, they're not really struggling for their faith. They simply have never met the terms of repentance that I have just laid out for you. And if you do not have that foundation stone in place, then your building will always be wobbly. It will always be shaky. It will always be insecure. Any pastor who has experience in counseling those who call themselves believers, and many of my pastor friends that I've spoken with, we eventually come to this conclusion that at least 50% of the problems of professing Christians are due to one fact. It is due to the fact that they have never really repented. I'm not saying they didn't walk the aisle. I'm not saying they didn't have an emotional experience, but they have never actually made the decision to change their mind and to turn around. They have never changed their mind. They have never really made the all-important decision. They have never really surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. They are still thinking of their decisions from their own point of view, which they are sure is right, and it goes like this. If I do this, what will it do for me? If I do that, what will it do for me? But when you have repented, I rolled my R, when you have repented, that is not the way you think. When you've truly repented, you will think this way. If I do this, will it glorify Jesus? If I do that, will it honor the Lord? That's what comes out of the mind and the heart of one who has repented. And the sad reality is that in the church today, we have multitudes of people who are still double-minded. And we all know what the book of James tells us, that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He does not have a solid foundation. He does not produce a stable building. Bethesda, as your pastor, I'm telling you today, the best way for us to begin this season, this month, particularly as we are about to face toward the middle and the end of the month, the Jewish holidays as mentioned, the best way for us to respond to this is not to glibly go on. The best way for us to respond to this call for repentance is for each of us to ask ourselves, have I truly repented in light of how it is defined and given to us in Scripture. The question is not, have you been in church all your life? The question is not, have you been baptized in water? Though that's second on the list. The question is not, are your parents and grandparents faithful, dedicated believers and you grew up in the church? Yes, I did too, but that's not the question. The question to you and I is this, have you ever really, truly repented? Has there been a decision to Change your mind and a decision then to turn around. And if so, was it a one-time deal? Or do you live continually in an attitude of repentance? Or are you still double-minded? Are you living with a heart that says, Lord, show me what's wrong. Show me what, where I need to turn. Show me what I need to do. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be a person who says, on Sunday, my aim is to please, please Jesus. On Monday, my aim is to please myself. I don't want to be double-minded. So we have a definition of repentance, to change your mind, to turn around. I want to move on to the nature of repentance. The best illustration we have in Scripture of true repentance 
is found in that well-known parable given to us by Jesus known as the prodigal son. I've also heard that it should be called the parable of the caring father, which would also be appropriate. I know you remember the story from Luke chapter 15. The second son of a wealthy family decided he wanted to get all of his inheritance from his father and get it right now. And then he took it and he went off to a distant country and he lived it up. And the scripture says he wasted his money in wild living. And then when he had spent it all, all of his inheritance, you know what happened, a a famine came, it swept over the land and he got hungry. He began to starve. And the only job he could get was what? Feeding pigs. And you got to remember, he was Jewish, so to him, feeding pigs had to be the lowest of the low. I got to be careful. My wife is raised on a pig farm, and she likes, she likes pigs a lot, so to her, it would not be the lowest of the low. But it was to this young man in the parable. So he finds himself in rags, feeding the pigs, hungry wishing he could even fill his stomach with the pods that he was feeding to the pigs. And Luke 15 says this, when he finally came to his senses. And isn't that the point we all have to come to? Finally come to your senses. Sometimes it's referred to as the moment of truth. Those of you who have ever experienced what Watchman Nee calls brokenness, where there's that reality, where you, you, you see yourself for who you really are. You get this incredible awareness, oh man, all of the things I had built to be the way I present myself and, and have it together, and yet the truth about me is far less than that. When you've come to your senses, when you've come to that moment of truth, you see yourself as you really are, And this young man said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. And I'm going to say this. And here's what he planned to say. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Would you please take me on as a hired servant? That's what, he, that's what he planned to say while he was wallowing in with the pigs. I, I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. P- please take me on a, a, as a hired servant. And the scripture says, so then he returned home to his father. And what we see here, Bethesda, are the two elements of repentance in a, in, in, in a wonderful picture. He made the decision to change his mind, and then he turned around, and that is true repentance. It's making the decision to return to the Father who you have sinned against, to the God who loves you, saying, I've made a mess of my life. I've blown it. I'm not capable of running my own life. I need you. Father, will you take me back? And here's the most wonderful part of this story. I, I, I love this. You know what he planned to say? He was, I'm sure he rehearsed it in his mind even. Plan to say, Father, would you please, would you just take me back as one of your hired servants? I'll take any position that, you, that you've got, whatever it is. But here's what happened. As he approached his father's house, he discovered that his father was looking for him. And he saw him coming. 
And church, I want you to know, when we begin to turn, God is watching us. He is looking for the day that you're going to make the decision to turn around and come back to him. And the scripture says this, that the father saw him coming a long way off and he ran to meet him. That is exactly how our God is. Not only did he run to meet him, but he kissed him. And that father never even allowed that boy to say what the boy had planned to say. He wanted to say, would you make me one of your hired servants? I'll take any, anything. He didn't even allow him to get to that. Before the boy could even open his mouth, that father said, bring the best robe in, in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. It's time to celebrate. For he who is lost has now come home. That is the result of true repentance. It's worth repenting to be welcomed like that by God. For that is repentance in action. Now there can be a false repentance. Today we would call it remorse. And remorse is not enough. <clears throat> Feeling bad that you got caught is not enough. That's, that's not it. The best example we have of remorse comes from what Judas experienced as described in Matthew 27. When Judas who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. He was filled with remorse. And so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? Why, why should we bother with that? That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and he hanged himself. Judas had remorse, but he never changed. In fact, I believe, as I've studied many theologians who also believe this, I believe that Judas passed the point where he could change. This is a very sobering thought and not one that's easy to deliver to you, but it is the truth. I've seen it happen. People can in this life, past the point where it's possible for them to change. Have you ever noticed it's possible for us to get to the point where we don't even see our own dirt? We don't even see our own mess? I bet if you came to my house, if I came to your house, we would each find something that, wow, that's kind of cluttered right there. You, and, and we don't even see it anymore. We don't even see the dirt. We don't even see because we've become so accustomed to it. It's just, it's become invisible to us. And that's what I'm saying. We pass the point where we can't even recognize our need of change. God help us. And I believe the most significant moment in any human life is the moment when God begins to deal with you about repentance. Emotions, maybe, but not necessarily. And you can shrug your shoulders when God does that. When the whole, God by the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of something that needs to change within you. You can shrug your shoulders and say, ah, I'm not really interested. You know, the timing's not good for me. I'm kind of enjoying wallowing in what I'm wallowing in. I, I kind of like that. Uh, maybe, maybe later. But here is the honest truth. I speak before the Lord. You need to know that there is no guarantee 
that God by his Holy Spirit will ever deal with you again. I base it on Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 that says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Can I just take the filter off and say, he's not going to put up with your sin forever. He's not. You may think it's something glib for you. You may think it's something to play with, but he will not put up with it forever. That's what this scripture says. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. And there are a couple of implications to this statement given to us by the Lord in Genesis 6. Number one, it is, it tells us, it's implied clearly that the spirit does strive with man. You have had the experience of the spirit of God striving with man. And the other thing is that man, we are capable then of resisting that spirit. The striving that we can do can stop when we resist the Spirit of God. Therefore, there is no guarantee that God will forever deal with you if you continue to resist Him. The most critical moment in any human life is the moment when God says to you, repent, for I am willing to take you back. I love you and I want you. And those of you who have walked many years with God, and have read his word, will I'm sure agree with me when I say this, particularly if you have read this book of prophets that we've gone through. And oh, if you've not, please start with this. We start again today. Please go these next few weeks with this. Here's what I'm saying that I know you'll agree with. There is one thing that makes God extremely angry. It is when we despise God's grace. He freely offers us his grace again and again. But if we then despise his grace, Look at it all through Scripture. He turns in anger. Look what happened to the children of Israel. And it is incredibly important that we understand today, and particularly going into this, into this season, how we respond to God matters. It is incredibly important. So how does God call us to repent? Sometimes God may use the tough times in our lives to correct our ways, as he did with the prodigal son to refine and purify us. On other occasions, he may use those tough times to lead us to a, a deeper relationship with him or to equip us better to, to serve others. That is a, a way that he can get our attention is through our tough times. And usually, for most of us, we're not really sure when we're going through it if, if God is wanting to correct something in us or if he's simply purifying us or, or, or causing us to come to a deeper relationship. When we're in the agony of the moment, we're challenged to know even the reason for the difficulty. But in either case, whether he is calling us to repent or he's deepening our relationship, in either case, our, the only response we should have to the hardship is this, not, God, how do I get out of this? which we typically want to say, but rather, God, what is it that you want me to get out of this? That is the response of a repentant believer. There's a lot of non-biblical thinking that being a Christian should somehow exempt us from hardships and give us a trouble-free life. And I'm looking into the faces of many who have walked with God for decades, and you know that's not true. <clears throat> The thing, some of the things that are being said today. Now, can God bless us, and does he, does, he, uh, does he shower his blessings on us and give us his grace? Yes, but the thinking that 
that, that we are somehow exempted. The, the, the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament, they all knew better. But we know that Israel fell into that same trap of thinking, that they were God's chosen people and they were somehow special people. But they were not chosen because they were special. They were special because they were chosen by God. And too often, they concluded that they were not subject to disaster or to the judgment of God. But when their lives got too far out of congruence with their profession of faith in Yahweh, then what God did was he sent prophets such as Hosea and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah, the ones we'll be reading about again in our immersed reading. He sent the prophets to warn them. And when the prophets' words did not get the people's attention, then what happened? It's in the word of God. God did allow disaster to come upon them. But God may choose to turn aside the disaster or let his people go through it. Either way that it happens, he is their only hope. God turning aside a disaster. Can the prayers of God's people change his mind? I want to tell you something that I'm not sure everybody in the room has realized. Are you aware that when you read the Old Testament and you see the word repent, that word is used both of people and of God, people repenting and God repenting? What does the word repent mean? Now, we've added a lot to the meaning. But the biblical terminology is to have a change of mind and to turn around. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. This word is used more often of God's response to people than of people's response to God. God's done more repenting than we have. He's done more changing of his mind and more turning around. When we turn from disobedience and return to the Lord, he changes his mind and his direction about what was going to, to take place from judgment to blessing when we meet those terms. In this sense, the will of God is not immutable. It is not unchangeable. Let me remove the double negative. The will of God can change. God's mind can change. We've seen it, we've read it over and over in Scripture. When we turn from our disobedience and we come with repentant hearts before the Lord and we return to the Lord, He changes His mind from judgment to blessing. Somebody ought to be thankful for that today. He has given us the awesome responsibility of choice, but He takes our choices very seriously. We may be glib about them. God is not. He takes our choices seriously, and he responds accordingly. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So I'm asking you today, are you wanting to move the heart of God? Are you in some kind of a situation in your personal life, your professional life, your family that is headed in a very wrong direction and you know it and you're trying to forecast how it's going to go 
You're trying to anticipate what you see ahead. You've been looking down the road and it does not look pretty. And you're asking God, God, is there any way that it can change? Is there any way this cannot happen the way it looks like it's headed? Is there any hope of this in this situation? Can I just tell you today on this first Sunday of September, it all starts with repentance. It all starts with realigning yourself in obedience to the word of the Lord. It all starts with living a life that is pleasing to him, honoring to him, and giving him the worship he deserves. The Jewish people knew this. That's why they set aside the holy days of awe that Stephen was telling us about to be a season of realignment and repentance. And here's what I know today. I know this is not an easy word to give. I know that there are people here in the room and that there are some watching online today, some who need to repent for the very first time. You have never, ever come to the point, for whatever reason, of making the decision to say yes to the Lord Jesus. There may be emotion to it, there may not be, but it does not matter. What matters is that you come to the point of saying, I am ready to make a decision. I am going to change my mind from this moment forward. And then there's going to be, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the opposite direction. Can I just say, there is not a better day than today for you to make that decision. Scripture says today is a day of salvation. So if you're in the house today and you are making that initial decision to have a change of mind and to turn around, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. We'll not be calling anyone forward. I want you to stand right where you are so that I can pray for you. Anyone in the house that is saying, I need to make the decision. If so, then would you stand, please? If you're watching online, been prayerfully considering how we can do this, and you are making that initial decision to have a change of mind and to turn around, Please indicate so in the comments of either Facebook or YouTube, whatever you're watching. And also, we want to know about it so we can pray with you. We want to reach out to you. You can do that by emailing at decision at BethesdaCommunityChurch.com or you can literally text the word decision, one word, decision, to the number that's on the screen right now, 817-693-1693. Why do we do that? We want to pray with you. We want to help you get established. And then I know there's people in the room, and I am part of this group, said yes to Jesus many years ago. But there are areas of your life where you need to repent. You need to repent. A changing of the mind, turning around, attitudes, the way you snap at your spouse, stubborn willfulness improper aligning with others who've affected you and turned you away from God. Hardness of heart that has somehow crept in. You don't even know how it got there. Hardness of heart, callousness, cynical heart. Today is the day for us to return. This is the season of return. Make a change. If that's anyone in the house, would you stand where you are? Anyone who says, there may be emotion, there may not be, and that does not matter. But you're saying from this day forward, I want something in me to change. 
And I want to be rid of anything that stands between me and the Lord. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Again, if you're watching online, you may be a seasoned Christian, but you know there's something God is dealing with. Please respond as we have indicated for you. Something there that you need to change your mind and turn around. We only want the opportunity to pray with you. And again, those of us who have grown up as evangelicals or Pentecostals even, we have a certain expectation of what this will feel like. This is not going to be based upon your feelings. It's based upon an act of your will that you're going to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus. It's a song we sang for years. Mary, I told the first service, for years, Des ended every service for a long time with I have decided to follow Jesus. I kept thinking I'd get him to sing some other song. And he would say, Dan, let's sing. And I knew what he was going to say because he'd said it for years. I also know this. Des did not typically give the traditional altar calls as many other pastors and others do. And I saw him take many bullets for it. And it dawned upon me this week as he had us sing that song, Des understood more about repentance that it was a decision. It is a decision. You can make it here. You can make it in the parking lot. You can make it on your way driving home today. It is a decision. I've got, I've got to turn from that. I've got to make up my mind, change my mind, and turn from that and walk the other direction. Father, I ask you today, because I know your eye is upon us, as we've just said. When we turn and run to you and come to you, you're watching for us. And you're running toward us today. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will help us to understand as we go through this season of repentance. It's not a one-time deal. That we will learn how to live in an attitude of repentance. Lord, let me please you in all of my ways. I'm not just going to live for you one or two days a week. Every day of my life, Lord. And the little things, the things I've not even seen in my life. The things I'm no longer sensitive to. The things that I'm not even aware of. Would you convict me? Don't let me pass the point of no return. Let me see the things that are within my heart that you are dealing with, that you are calling me to repent. And we give you thanks that plenteous grace we will find in you. You will give your grace again. And so we bless you for the forgiveness that you give us. And we thank you, Lord, that your hand is upon us for good. In the name of Jesus. And the church said amen.